0: Well, welcome back to Crazy Faith Talk. I'm Sarah.
1: I'm Steve.
2: And I'm Erica.
1: And friends, we're glad you're with us this November for a new series that's going to take us through mm, the rest of this month, we think. Um, We're sort of spinning off uh, on a tangent from the series we were looking at uh, earlier this fall when we talked about um those moments in our lives when maybe we were seeking god's uh presence or looking for god's direction and we kind of talked about the experience in our lives of god moments where you sort of felt like you were being directed and maybe we even talked in that series about how we set ourselves up for or how we intentionally listen and look for those moments where god might direct or speak to us um And now we're going to sort of move in the opposite direction about what about those times when even when we weren't looking gets a hold of us or even when we weren't seeking God gets through to us by sheer serendipity almost. So we're going to be talking about serendipitous faith, that sort of moments when God connects that it wasn't what we were looking for and it wasn't what we were expecting and yet there God was anyhow. So where will we start this conversation?
2: So we're going to start this conversation in the Old Testament because there are plenty of stories throughout both Old and New Testaments in um, which God just kind of shows up on the scene. And as you said, Steve, um, we the the people he shows up to and starts speaking to or, or connecting with weren't necessarily seeking God out. They're just kind of living their lives the way they are, and God shows up and says, Hey, I'm here. Um, and I've got something for you. So um, we're going to start with with Abraham in the book of Genesis and um, starting with his call, because Abraham was definitely not looking for the God of who would become Israel when he's just living his life out in the desert.
1: Yeah, so maybe he's like the the almost the quintessential example of this because at least the way both Genesis tells the story and uh later uh reflection on Abraham's story you find later in the Bible depicts him as you know, it names he's he's living with his father and his father's people, mm-hmm. Terah in Ur of the Chaldeans, doing what Chaldeans do, right? So worshiping whatever the gods of ancient pre-Babylon are, and that he isn't like known as. Uh, a philosopher, or a mystic, or a theologian seeking truth. He's just a guy living his life, and um, out of nowhere, God grabs a hold of him and calls to him. And in pretty short order, as Genesis 12 tells it, like out of the blue, you know, the Lord speaks to Abram and says, "Go to the land I'll show you. Uh, I will bless all people through you. I will make of you a great nation, and somehow all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you." uh i'll bring i'll bring you to a new land like out of nowhere none of these are things that are that he's looking for and you know, there's god out of the blue
2: which i i think i will say for me i am so familiar with this story that it's hard to think back and, and imagine being in abraham's situation um because yeah he is not looking for this whatsoever yeah um you know he doesn't even know who this god is
1: right
2: as far as we can tell and then all of a sudden god starts speaking i'm like it'd be one thing if god starts speaking to me because at least i i know who god is i believe in god like you know Mm -hmm. but to have just some deity start speaking to you out of nowhere and say hey you're going to move here and you're going to do this and you're going to become the father of nations it's gonna be like Okay, Um, where'd you come from?
1: Right, right. Well, like, and like we've said before, in our day and in our time, if somebody says out of the blue, an invisible voice told them to pick up their belongings and move across the country for some unstated purpose, we would take them to the behavioral health unit in their local hospital and make sure that their meds are all right. I mean, like, and I don't mean Mm -hmm. to, to poke fun, but to say, like, we generally treat that as that's not normal, and therefore we tend to be skeptical. And the way the story is remembered about Abram, it's sort of out of the blue and yeah he drops everything and goes and now it's hopeful it's not like it it, it, you get the sense that Abram doesn't see this as uh this god is you know demanding a trial of me to prove my faith but like go to this place that's waiting for you you will have a a land that can you know feed your flocks and live your life and prosper and all that so it's 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 not like it's it's a, a dare or a challenge or like he's pledging a fraternity but it's like here go to this place that you weren't looking for that you weren't expecting to me it, it seems important too that because so much of the later New Testament in particular but maybe the Hebrew scriptures do this too sees Abraham as sort of archetypal as the figure of faith like he is the the example of what it is to be a faithful you know uh, person in relationship with God um that notion that the relationship starts with God moving in his life before he's aware of it and before he's even sought it out seems to me an important piece about how the whole the whole Christian faith, at least, talks about our relationship with God, um, that God isn't sitting around up in heaven waiting for us to get it right and to go, let me dial in who would be the right God and, you know, let me pray that prayer. But, like, God is already actively seeking and calling while we are looking the other way, while we aren't paying attention or maybe while we were chasing other things. It, it makes me feel... Uh, like there's this uh, story I heard a a member of the congregation I'm serving now tell not long ago he um, said to me that when he met his wife, to whom he has now been married for decades, that um, the first time he walked in the door to her house, he knew that it was that they were meant to be together. And it, 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 the way he tells the story, it wasn't even just sort of the naive, you know, teenager like infatuation kind of thing. He was old enough in, in life to know this wasn't like this sort of teenage romance, but like he had this sense. And the way he tells the story, this was God who put her in his life. They were meant for each other, and. At the very least, it feels like that's kind of Abram's stories, like the somehow, you know, and he wasn't looking for it. But man, that day when God opened the door, he knew this is the direction my life is going to go to me that that's that's at the heart of this whole conversation about serendipitous faith.
0: I also really like that Abraham and Sarah were older when this happened to them, right? We're told that Abraham is 75 years old at this point. Mm -hmm. um that because i don't know maybe i read too many young adult novels where (laughs) you know the coming of age stories all happen to teenagers and sometimes if you're lucky maybe a 20 something year old but that that this life-changing moment this chance encounter with god it could happen at any time Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And you almost get the sense that at this point in Abram and Sarah, Sarah's life, they have about given up on big things happening in their life. You know, they're at the point of, well, we're too old for children. How can we just have? a decent, comfortable life, you know, wherever we are. But, like, you don't get the sense they are adventurers, that they are, you know, looking for, ah, this is the big moment. And you're right, so often in in our storytelling, in our culture, it's at that coming of age time, the, the entry into adolescence or adulthood, and that's when adventure calls your name and big things happen. But, yeah, the, the, God can get a hold of us at any time, and maybe especially at the points when we have given up hope. There's that line Paul uses talking about Abraham, about, you know, hoping against hope, uh, Abram answers the call or goes where God leads, and that he even considered his own body as good as dead at this point in his life, and yet that God gets hold of him and says, Watch what should I do with nothing.
2: And it's interesting, this being such a crucial story to not only our faith, but to the faith of our Jewish brothers and sisters, how often I hear in the church the older the older saints of the church, Well, I, I've done you know i'm done god's done with me like he has no use for me and then you get a story like abram and sarah and yeah they're in their 70s now granted biblically speaking who you know maybe age was different then but they lived to be a hundred and god just decides to start using them in their 70s not when they're 20 or 30 when most church folks think like well yeah the church activities are all for the young folks you know right
1: Right, right. And to me, I think it's important, too, that when we talk about God using them, that it's not like God recruits them for like service projects or, you know, building houses no. for Habitat have a chat for I mean, like it is amazing to me that Jimmy Carter did that as long as he did. But like the, the, the entry point for Abram and Sarah is just you keep on living your life and watch how I bring a child into your life. And then that child becomes the next generation through whom all this blessing for all peoples will happen. Um, so it's not even that you were wasting your lives and now I'm going to give you, you know, a charity to work for, but through your ordinariness and through things that look like just living your life, watch how I'm going to bring blessing for all people that you weren't looking for. Right. Yeah.
2: And And that's another part of Abraham's story where God just kind of serendipitously shows up. when when god first calls him he's calling him okay move from ur to this new land to cana Mm
1: -hmm, mm -hmm.
2: but he doesn't tell him anything about you know at least not the details of how he's going to become a great nation right you know it takes a couple chapters till we get to that story where god shows up again and says hey by the way you're going to have a kid
1: Right. And that story, the story of the three visitors, again sort of comes out of the blue that uh when Abram's standing mm-hmm. by the oaks of Mamre, right? So sort of like, you know, this is where they've camped their tent. Uh, you know, again, these are these are uh nomadic peoples who'd set up their tent and their stuff in one mm-hmm. spot, let their herds graze around and then move on. And these three uh strangers, visitors appear on the horizon and Uh, instead of treating the hospitality like it's heroic, it's just, this is the assumption of what you do in the ancient Near Eastern culture. When a stranger or visitor comes, you put out food for them, you welcome them, you treat them well, that kind of thing. And so like Abram's not thinking, I should be nice if a stranger comes because it might be God. He just thinks I should be nice if a stranger comes because that's what you do for strangers, <laughs> and it turns out in this case somehow these three visitors—it's—it's uh, it, kind of curious. By the end of that story, it's uh, the Lord is speaking through them, Yahweh is speaking through them, or the Angel of the Lord that sometimes is sort of a figure for God, but that these three visitors end up somehow being God. Now, later Christianity has gone like, oh, it's a Trinity moment. It's, but like at the very least, it's a theophany. It's a moment where somehow God is present in this encounter and that it's God's promise to Abram, again, that he wasn't looking for. He's not thinking maybe if I'm nice, God will reward me with a child. He's thinking what you do when a stranger comes is you, you welcome them and you show hospitality. That seems to be exactly the point uh, when the writer of Hebrews picks up on this story later on, right? In Hebrews 13, where the writer says, don't neglect to show hospitality to strangers because some have entertained angels without knowing it, right? That He just leaves it at, like, the reason to be uh, hospitable is you never know who it is you're welcoming, not do this so that you can win a prize, but just you never know. God might show up where you least expect. now this isn't just limited to to abraham right there's other moments or other times throughout the whole story of ancient israel where god shows up in those unexpected serendipitous moments right
2: yeah so he shows up a couple times also for jacob who ends up who is abraham's grandson.
1: grandson yeah
2: so um one one time well i guess they're both the two accounts i'm thinking of are both dream like at least aren't they
1: well, the the one is definitely described as this is a dream where he's on his way running away from Esau. He's
2: mm-hmm. done that
1: trick where he's convinced dear old dad that he's his brother, gotten the birthright, gotten the blessing. His brother Esau wants to kill him. And so like Jacob is not like won any prizes for virtue. He is running away for his life, hoping that maybe he can hide out in the witness protection program with his uncle Laban. And on the way... Yeah, he's he uh, falls asleep in the middle of nowhere, has a dream of these angels ascending and descending on like a ladder or a staircase or a step pyramid or a ziggurat or something like that, and wakes up and says, God was in this place and I didn't know it. And he names that place Bethel, house of God. Um, and in the midst of that dream, God speaks to him and says, I'm the God of your father, Isaac, and your grandfather, Abraham, and I'm going to continue the blessing through you. And it's almost like God saying, in spite of all the stupid, jerky stuff you just did, I'm not giving up on you. So it, it, it's, it's, to me, it makes it clear that this isn't reward for good behavior, that this isn't God saying, because you've been such a good boy, I'm here to tell you, I'm here for you, you've got a favor that I owe you. But mm-hmm. it's even though you've been nothing but an absolute terror, I will still bless you and work through you.
2: Well, wasn't, and correct me if I'm wrong, wasn't there a prophecy prediction that even before um jacob and Esau were were born that jacob would kind of overtake his brother
1: yeah well and like that that's what they name him too is the name jacob means like usurper or supplanter or since those are obscure yeah guy who grabs stuff that isn't his i mean like basically his name is scheming trickster guy he's like the loki of the of the old testament um and yet yeah, always taking what theoretically uh, belongs to his older brother Esau. So yeah, that's, there's this sort of ominous prophecy as birth, uh, there's the actual moment when he's sort of stealing what's his brother's, he steals the birthright uh, from his brother and the blessing. So yeah, he's never been Mr. On the Up and Up. Um, and to me, even in this, even in that story of the the angels, um, after God has announced this like unconditional blessing, I'll be your God, I'll bring you back safely, and Jacob wakes up and goes, Well, I'll offer sacrifices to God so that now God will bless me. And it's like, you just tried to make into a deal what God gave you as a free gift, you dummy. Um, that like Jacob never learns. He seems to be consistently, I gotta turn this into a scheme or a mm-hmm. game or a deal. And God just blesses recklessly.
2: Oh, and then a couple chapters later, he he's continuing to kind of scheme. Yeah, because, yeah. You know, here he's just run away from his brother after stealing yeah. the right. And now it's been months, years. I don't know the timeline exactly, but he's on the verge of meeting up with his brother again and being like, okay, dude, I'm sorry. Like, yeah. I messed up. Yeah, yeah. And yet, like, he kind of, he sends his family out ahead of him. <laughs>
1: Yeah, it's been it's got to have been at least fifteen years because he's uh, by that by the time he comes back he's now got both of his wives Rachel and Lee and oh, he had worked seven yeah, years yeah. each so. of them so he's a much older man and mm-hmm. sends his family on ahead across the other side of the shore of the the river Jabbok so that they can be like his human shield because again he's not learned any courage or guts or anything like that in these years away and there when he's left alone. This, the text is so weird. It says, and a man wrestled with him all night, this like unknown mysterious stranger. And by the end of the story, the stranger who like Jacob won't let go of, he seems to have this thing of grabbing people's heels and not wanting to let go. The mysterious stranger by the end blesses him and won't reveal the name of the stranger. But by the end, Jacob goes, I've wrestled with God face to face and I've seen God and lived. So like Jacob takes this as I've encountered God and God has blessed me. And there, God gives Jacob a new name. Now he becomes Israel, the one who's wrestled with God. Um, And again, not a moment Jacob's looking for. He doesn't say, let me complicate this chapter in my life. I'm already worried about what my brother will think when I come back to face to face. I know, how about if God comes and punches me in the hip and I walk the limp for the rest of my life. But that's how it happens. And unexpectedly, in the wrestling match, God blesses him, renames him, and punches him in the hip forever. He walks with a limp the rest of his life.
0: And then the next day, he gets to face his brother.
1: Yeah, Now, to me... It's a
0: lot. It's a lot. To
1: to me, I've always thought that the, the cool thing about that moment is, like, jacob's mo all his life is he runs when he when he makes when he gets himself into trouble and he burns bridges with somebody uh after getting caught in one scheme after another he runs and here part of the blessing is you're not going to run anymore you like i'm going to remove that as a possibility now we're finally going to turn over a new leaf and you're going to be the person who owns up to what you do and um there's this change for him that's made possible by the name change that you're no longer the trickster schemer supplanter heel grabber jacob but now you're israel the one who's wrestled with god um and again these are not things jacob was looking for but god sort of out of nowhere serendipitously shows up and says here's correction and and it happens
2: and then he like not only did he send his family in front of him to be a human shield but mm-hmm. also kind of to bribe his brother and to say like you know hey this is me saying like i'm sorry take this and i'm going to give you this much of my my family my land my property my herds you know as a way of saying i'm sorry and then when he meets up with his brother the next day his brother's like dude i don't need any of it
1: right 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 it's one of those rare moments of actual real reconciliation in a family in the old mm -hmm. testament you know like there's lots of moments of trickiness and nursing grudges and all that, but they're, it actually sets up one of those moments of reconciliation. Yeah, yeah. Um. So moving the story forward then, like I'm trying to think about uh, the next time that I think of one of these really standing out kind of... Um, uh, serendipitous moments like I think of the, the drama of the story of Samuel being called to serve God uh, as, a, as a I guess prophet or a judge kind of figure mm-hmm. and if people know a story about Samuel chances are it's that one of the little boy Samuel being raised in the temple by the priest Eli and he hears the right. voice calling like this is the kind of thing we write hymns about right it is I've heard your voice calling in the night right out of this story and uh, so he hears this voice Samuel Samuel and he calls and thinks it's Eli and Eli. I haven't called you. Go back to sleep. And by the end, Eli gets, oh, this is God calling. Uh, okay. In fact, I I think at the beginning of this story, doesn't the narrator say something like, now in these days, visions and visitations from God yep. were rare. So it's like mm-hmm. sort of setting up like, I'm telling you now, it's a rare thing for God to show up and speak to somebody. And yet here's one of these stories.
2: And like, like you said, he, he's not, like we said about the other ones, he's not expecting this. This comes out and he thinks it's somebody else. Right. At least, you know, in Abram's story, Somehow, apparently, he recognizes that as being God. Mm-hmm. You know? um, and Jacob's story again—he recognizes it as that's coming from God. Yeah. Then you have Samuel here who thinks like his guardian, his you know the one yeah. he's helping to take care of is the one that's calling him because the man's old and blind. You know, it's the middle of the night he needs something right yeah
1: yeah who is it's occam's razor what is the most reasonable explanation when you think you hear a voice it must be my foster dad eli down the hall not Mm -hmm. this is the voice of god
0: yeah i mean and to be fair samuel is a boy right Right. like he's, he's a child and so when you hear a voice calling in the middle of the night yeah. I don't know. I don't think anybody as a child is going to go, oh, yes, that's God. Right. That's yeah. I mean, God like... calling me into the priesthood, into yeah. service.
1: And yeah, total I mean, like, I think that's part of what makes this story so popular and well-loved and, and remembered it's, it's not it's not a sort of samuel being foolish but samuel making the most logical assumption of if you hear a voice it's another human being not the creator of the universe calling your name um and so he's not looking for he's not thinking maybe if i wait out in the temple long enough i'll finally get my big break no his mom is the one who sort of dedicated him to the to god's service but samuel does has not had a a, a choice in this you know before he's born his mom hannah says if i get a child a child i will dedicate this child to the lord and there he is being raised in the the tabernacle or whatever um but yeah it's it's not a moment of samuel seeking how can i get a special one-on-one moment with god it's god saying i'm seeking a one-on-one moment with you
0: like really i'm impressed with eli because eli is the one who perceived that it was the lord was calling to the boy samuel And gave him the instructions of like, okay, no, you're gonna go and lay back down, go try to go to sleep. But if you hear the voice again, you're supposed to say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And then like, you know, presumably then actually listen.
1: Right, right, right. (laughs) And to give eli further credit if i remember rightly once god brings the message to samuel like usually we stop the storytelling and the remembering and the flannel board lesson at and god called samuel and he became a prophet nice happy ending but like part of the message to samuel is i've got some bad news for eli his sons are not going to be the ones who take over as my spokesperson because they've abused their office and they have uh you know basically um uh, you know misused their authority in their role and you need to tell eli his his sons are not allowed to continue and I'm I'm not gonna work through that, you know, like a dynasty or nepotism. I'm gonna work through you now. And when Eli uh hears back from Samuel that indeed he talked with God, uh Eli has that sort of humility of Okay, whatever it is that God had to tell you, I'm I'm ready to listen, whatever it is. And I realize it might not be good news for me. It might be unpleasant. Um, and it is unpleasant. But like that Eli's willing to bear that too seems important as well. And you almost get the sense for Eli that he realizes if God's going to talk to somebody and it's not him, huh, there might be some news that was going to be unpleasant for me to hear that somebody else needs to tell me. And that's why I'm not getting the vision, but the kid is getting the vision.
2: So it's kind of a serendipitous moment for both of them.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um and again like in in a way, okay, it's the it's the priestly religious figures or the people in the priestly religious place, so that's not exactly surprising that God shows up there. Um but on the other hand, none of them are looking for this. You know, and neither of them is thinking if we, you know, pray the right prayer or light the right candles or uh sacrifice the right animal, then we can make God speak. There's this sense of God reserves the right to show up. Um it's like that that line, um, or which, who's the psychiatrist uh who, who had it? Was it Carl Jung, who had the the quote above his uh door, bidden or unbidden, God is present. But that notion of like it, it's not dependent on us calling on God for God to show up. God reserves the right to show up when we were not looking. Um, are there other stories or examples of this kind of thing that might be helpful to sort of flesh out what we're talking about or or ways that these serendipitous encounters with God or God's guidance might happen
2: oh so far most of these have turned into some type of blessing with the exception of Eli you know (laughs) Abraham moves (laughs) becomes the father of nations you know Jacob gets basically forgiven and, and is no longer the trickster becomes Israel Samuel gets called in the ministry and then you have David.
1: Oh yeah, that's an interesting case.
2: And yeah, you know, there, there's so much to say about David, but I'm thinking particularly of the story of when David has started collecting items to build a temple for God, to build mm-hmm. a to build a permanent home for God. And God comes to David and says, mm, "Hold on there, buddy. This yeah. isn't your job to do."
1: Yeah. Yeah. So it's almost like the opposite of a call story where mm-hmm. and, and again, I I think David, you got to give him at least partial credit for good intentions because I think the story begins, David realizes he's got a nice fancy house, he's got a palace or whatever uh, and it's made of the finest cedar walls or whatever the nicest Mm -hmm. things they had at the time are and he goes, huh, but boy, the stuff we've got for God is just in that old tent, that old tabernacle we've been carrying around since the wilderness days. That doesn't seem fair. We should have a place for God to live. Um, and, I'm, and it's like probably one of those moments where he doesn't realize what he's saying. Like that, like you don't realize the baggage that it brings to have a house that you think God lives in because real quickly people forget that God doesn't actually live in the house. Um, and I think that's part of God's response when God's like, no, you're not going to be the one to build me a house, David. But in fact, I'm going to build a house for you. I'm going to give a dynasty to you. And that's the point where God makes the promise. One of David's descendants will be on the throne uh, forever in that family line, which continues on through the the southern kingdom of Judah. Um, So David isn't looking for what can I do to make God give me a prize? But he's thinking just, boy, I'm appreciative. And why do we keep the Ark of the Covenant out in this tent in the back? We should build a permanent structure for it. And that becomes this moment for God to turn the tables on him. It does seem interesting to me too that when we eventually get to the story of uh, David's son Solomon who builds the temple, um, that the way that moment is remembered in the Book of Kings, Solomon's prayer supposedly is: "We know God that you fill all the creation and that you aren't limited to anything by me by human hands. We know that God, and it's almost like, and we promise we'll never forget that. We totally, we're never ever going to get that wrong." and you know, mm-hmm. before long at all it's the the official um a- alignment between the throne and the high priesthood of like we control access to god you will do what we say because we control access to god and when the civil war happens and the northern kingdom sets up their own worship sites it's that same we got to have our own places that people worship because you got to control acts people's access to god god's got to live in this box so that we can control who has access to where God is. Um, and again and again, every time we say, with the best of intentions, let's make a special place for God, God's always kind of, mm, oh not sure that's a great idea. What's the line of the genie in Aladdin? Uh, Infinite power, itty-bitty living space. We, we, we keep doing that to God. I wonder if we should also talk about um, what feels like a little more ambiguous kind of a moment, um, but to me also feels like it kind of has that... Ring of Serendipity. I'm thinking of Esther's story and I know we've talked more in depth about Esther in a previous series, uh but to recap the highlights of that story, uh the people uh the the, the people got the the Jewish people are threatened uh while living in captivity in exile and a villain comes on the scene named Haman who wants to get rid of not only uh his um nemesis Mordecai but all the Jews and Only Queen Esther, who is secretly hidden her Jewish identity, is in a position to help. And she's just kind of like nervous about the situation. And her uncle, cousin, something like that, Mordecai, says, gives that big speech, right? The who knows, but that you've been raised up for such a time as this. And again, she's not looking for um exactly for like let me let me have my big moment in the in the spotlight here but Mordecai's like this is what this is the moment you've been raised phrased up for and again that sort of out of nowhere i wasn't expecting it but this moment has been thrust on me kind of situation
2: yeah when she calls that um, for all the jewish people and her servants to have that three-day fast it almost feels like she's just like okay god we're gonna pray and you're gonna do something like and and you're going to do something. I'm, I don't need to be involved. I'm just being the one that, you know, sets up this prayer and fasting time period, and then you do what you do and we'll all be good. And yet, when she comes out of that, it's very much God is calling her to be the agent of change yeah. in that moment.
1: That reminds me, and this may be a thread we pick up later on in this series when we get to like, what does any of this mean for us? But that important insight that when we pray, God reserves the right for us to be a part of the answer to our prayer. Um, and that's definitely a serendipitous moment. If we're so often our, our approach in prayer is dear God, there's this problem somewhere else. I'm alerting you to it because I like, somehow we think like, you're not aware of it, God. So please take care of that thing over there. And we assume, all right, I've done my job. I've said the words Now God's going to go find somebody else to fix the problem, uh, or burning bush will do it or something like that. And God reserves the right to go, okay, great. Yep. I'm on it. And now you're going to be a part of how I answer that prayer. That's, mm-hmm. a, that's a that's an important but sometimes challenging learning in our faith.
2: Isn't there a quote from a saint something along those? I'm, I'm feeling Mother Teresa or somebody along those lines about you know pray and then do. Th-
1: that feels like a, a, a line that is echoed by a lot of important voices of faith. One that comes to mind that's sort of in the same ballpark that I uh, am reminded of every time there's a mass shooting uh, is that powerful line of the current theologian Miroslav Wolf, who says there's something deeply hypocritical about praying for uh... For a problem we are not willing to uh, work on solving ourselves or something like that. Like, wow. it, that, like if, if we're praying about something but are unwilling to do anything about the thing we're praying for, there's something that's gone wrong. Um, and I think that's another way of saying this, that like, if I'm, uh, dear God, I'm so worried about all those people who are going hungry in other places, but I'm not going to share my food. Um, there's something that's gone wrong. Um, and it's sort mm-hmm. of a misuse of prayer, but rather if I pray with the thought of, I'm not assuming I'm the savior and I can solve every problem, but I have to be ready for the possibility that as I pray, God may respond back to me and say, okay, and here's your part of how we deal with that. Um, Even if my piece of the puzzle is a small one in the the big picture, I'm called to be a part of that, or I I need to be called to be ready to be a part of what that answer is. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, there's a similar quote from Pope Francis, and he said, you pray for the hungry, then you feed them
2: that Mm, is how mm -hmm. prayer works that's Mm -hmm. the one Mm -hmm. i was thinking of okay it's granted i knew it was some catholic yeah person um yep
1: he he fits he fits the description of some catholic person the pope (laughs) (laughs) i think that's i think that's not his business Father Teresa,
2: the pope it's just you know
0: it's It's one of them some catholic guy
1: i'm pretty sure that's that that's got to be his profile on facebook pontifex francis the first some catholic guy, a catholic fair enough um but like the, the, the fact that that god's people keep coming back to these kind of moments that are unpredictable i mean by nature when you're talking about serendipity these are not things that you can uh program or schedule or or you know get god to show up on demand but that god reserves the right to come when god chooses and that God reserves right to speak, and both to call on us and to bless us beyond our expectation. Um, to me, part of what, what all of these stories tell me is that there's never a point where God is under my control, but I always have to live with the reality that God is always free to do things beyond my expectation or planning. It feels to me, too, like... Increasingly, that's a counter-cultural thing in a time like ours that is so much about like I get what I want on demand. You know, like I watch mm-hmm. the TV show. Not like I, I grew up in the era of um the television program that you want to watch is on Thursdays at eight. You have to be available at that time, or you don't watch it, or you wait till it's on syndication years later. But this was your chance. And mm-hmm. that now to live in a time when whenever I want to watch, I watch, and when I want to pause it, I can pause it. And like it it it's easy to let that reinforce it. Like I'm the center of the universe and I'm in control of things and I wait till the moment for it's perfect for me. And then I do things. And that's not how the story in the Bible works. I mean, usually it's when people are going like, no, this is a bad time, God, or this is not what I was planning, or this doesn't fit my expectations. Or have you not seen my life plan? (laughs) Um, And God has this way of going, yep, I'm, I'm doing, I'm moving things now in ways you didn't expect. Are there other take homes that you would say like having just gone over a bunch of stories in rapid fire here? Are there things that like are common threads to them that like you hold on to for your own spiritual life or your own sense of of, uh, experiencing God in your own life?
0: I would say that I think especially the lesson that I learned from Abraham of God can come to you at any time especially I think when you don't expect it Mm -hmm. Um, rings so much true for me at this moment in my life when I am in my mid thirties and like my mental picture of myself no longer fits the face I see in the mirror. Like, you know, and I know that that, I think that disconnect is going to just kind of continue as I grow older and continue to get more gray because in my head I'm still like 22 Um, And I'm not. Um, And it's, it's one of those things that, you know, you can learn a new hobby. No matter Mm -hmm. how old you are, you can find new ways to connect with people and with God, even if you're not in your 20s, but you're older. And so I, I think to me that that is the lesson that I hold really tightly right now as i kind of come to terms with you know my more middle-aged self yeah and not my young adult self
1: how about for you erica are there other things that these stories uh from the hebrew scriptures like poke at you or do for you or or have shaped your faith or experience of god
2: I have not thought of it at this in this way before but I think looking at my life especially in the last few months here I've kind of had the Esther approach of like okay God I'm going to pray about this and I you know you you do something and I've fairly strongly have felt God calling me to be like okay you you want this to happen here's how you do that <laughs> you mm-hmm. know here's mm-hmm. how I'm going to work through you to make that happen Mm-hmm. Um, where I, w- I was always a little bit more timid to, okay, God, like I'd love to see this happen. Who can I delegate it to? Who can I, you know, mm-hmm. help with? And God's like, no, I'm asking you to do this.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So um, it's been it's an interesting season. Yeah, yeah, for my life um, is and it's an exciting season. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it's diff- very different than the nine plus years of ministry I've had before I got to this point.
1: Yeah, yeah, so. it's interesting and, and it really helpful as you say that, Erica. That in one sense it's humbling to to mm-hmm. like recognize that God yeah. does not need to consult us or show up when we expect, but there's also something that uh is empowering and that can be uncomfortable in like the opposite way at the same time like you say that instead of dear god you go fix this problem somewhere else that when god brings it back to okay but here's your part of that yeah oh yeah i do have a response in the midst of that so it's weird to be both humbled and empowered at the same time but it feels like that's each of these stories is like that um Abram's not expecting it and then God says but here's the thing you're going to do now and it will be that you leave a mark on all of human history uh, from here on out and that those two together side by side, that's a really important insight I think.
0: So what about you Steve? Um, what do you take away?
1: Yeah, For, for me it's it's that, that notion of being ready to be surprised I guess um, and again like maybe it feels like a lot of our lives are lived under that same heading in the Samuel story. Now, visions were rare in those days. And like, that feels like that could be the narrator starting every day of my life, right? Like we live in this era of scientific explanations for everything that things are scheduled and routined and we know how things work and we know how the universe works. And so, you know, like ordinary Tuesday, here's my stuff to do. I don't expect God to show up outside of the things that are planned for the day. And these stories sort of like, nope, God reserves the right to surprise you, and it might well be that something amazing happens that you can, in the moment, see. Wow, this was amazing! I'm glad I was here for this, or I needed to be here in this moment for this conversation, or that the things that look ordinary to me may leave marks or maybe used in powerful ways that I didn't anticipate. So for me, it's like it's the the challenge to show up every day with the thought of god's at work in this day somewhere and i may or may not uh be able to predict where god shows up so like that, it's, it's almost like constantly being on call of god's at work in the world be ready uh rather than whoops sorry god doesn't do things on wednesday so you're clear just you know go through your to-do list and you're fine not how it works so with these kind of stories and these kind of places to jump off, we're going to invite you to join us next time as we take a look at serendipitous faith through New Testament eyes uh, here in Crazy Faith Talk. See
2: Bye. Bye.